0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute.
1: And hello, this is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI.
0: And today we are excited to be joined by Marilyn Beck. She is the founder and executive director of the New Mexico Child First Network. Thanks so much for joining us, Marilyn. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. So, Marilyn, uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on was really to talk about kind of the front lines of the drug crisis in child welfare. Um, New Mexico has been experiencing um, some pretty horrific cases of child welfare problems. Um, There is a obviously a big drug problem in New Mexico, Um, but we want to just kind of talk to you about the approach that New Mexico state government and child welfare seems to be taking toward uh, families and particularly parents who have addiction problems um, and are trying to care for their children or are not uh, trying to care for their children, depending on how you look at it. Um, So can you describe kind of what the situation is like on the ground there? And then we'll talk about some of the policies.
2: Absolutely. Um, So I live in New Mexico, um, native New Mexican. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've lived here my whole life. University of New Mexico grad. I'm a public school grad. And I just say that I'm the oldest of four. We're all public school grads. Um, there are great stories coming out of New Mexico. If you look as close as D.C., Deb Holland, our Secretary of Interior, is from New Mexico, right? So, so New Mexico does have great things, and I always want to start the conversation. Unfortunately, um, New Mexico is also what I would call almost a perfect storm of terrible things that continue to happen. And we just recently ranked, for the fourth time in five years, 50th of 50, from the Annie E. Casey Foundation for Child Wellbeing. So, four out of the last five years, um, since Annie Casey has been doing those um, statistics and analysis, New Mexico has consistently ranked at the bottom three every year, um, but for the past four out of five. And so, we are not doing well. New Mexico newborns um, exposed to addictive substance in utero, and this is a statistic that is crazy, increased 324% between just 2008 and 2017. Infants born with um, substance exposure, neonatal substance exposure use, continue to struggle with health, learning, social challenges the rest of their lives. New Mexico has one of the highest rates of neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome, or what we call nows, of any state in the nation. And to your point, under federal law starting in 2013, states were charged with what I call, um, it's called CAPTA or CARA. It's under the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, and CARA is the Comprehensive Addiction Recovery Act. And we, under federal law, it's called CARA, right, the Comprehensive Addiction Recovery Act. And this was intended to say that babies born drug exposed and their mothers giving birth to them who are drug addicted or actively using represent What the federal government then represented was a two-generational, the most vulnerable population. And if we could somehow figure out how to reduce the substance exposure in infants and also reduce the substance use in moms, the federal government identified that this was the most vulnerable population to improve outcomes. It's a two-generational model, um, and and I keep calling it a soft landing. If we could figure out how to give these kids and the mothers a softer landing, we identified that this could be the most important way to improve outcomes. Interestingly enough, when the federal government told states that these are called plans of safe care, every state is now in charge of implementing their own. When the federal government said this, um, different states have done this different ways. New Mexico took what we are calling a public health approach. And that's what's made us uniquely different. And I think absolutely detrimental into the way we've implemented this plan. And so um, the idea was that either states are taking punitive approaches or non-punitive approaches. And New Mexico said, we shall not report. So in 2019, we passed our own state law. Under the federal program, hospitals, there's two components of the federal program. Hospitals create and report plan of cares for all substance-exposed newborns, and then federally required data around the prenatal substance exposure are tracked and reported. And that's all the federal law wanted us to do was we need to get a handle on how many babies are being born drug exposed. What are they being born drug exposed to? And then the federal government really did want us to report those, you know, those high risk and really intervene in New Mexico. We thought we would go above and beyond for this public health approach. So our lot that we passed in 2019 says care coordination of these substance exposed infants is provided. Now, this is a little bit crazy through the family's insurance provider. Also, the Medicaid MCOs managed care organizations. Um, And then, four was a non putative approach to prenatal substance exposure by not requiring an automatic referral to statewide central intake or RCYFD, child productive services. Um, The first two components, which is just create and create the plan of cares and track them, are federal law. The second two, which is care coordination, is done through the insurance companies. And then also the non-punitive approach of not referring to child protective services when a substance exposed newborn is born to an actively using drug parent is uniquely in New Mexico.
1: And, and what's the rationale for not automatically informing?
2: You should ask the person who wrote the bill. Um, New Mexico said that we are taking a public health approach in a non-punitive way. And so I call this an experiment gone bad. In the past four years, the implementation, and I think we, I think your podcast does a lot of this, right? Um, The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think if you look at the original intentions of this bill and the original work groups that worked on this, the idea was prenatally and non-punitive way. So to say to substance using mothers, come and get prenatal services, and we are not going to refer you to child protective services. Unfortunately, we passed this law in 2019 in the spring. It went live July 1st of 2019. Part of it was we shall create procedures and and training, and um, so we shall tell all the hospitals and all the MCOs and all the insurance companies that all of a sudden of July 1st, 2019, everything has changed. You shall not report. The procedures and the rules and regulations, and I think you talk a lot about government bureaucracy, were not created until almost two years later. So for two years, the evaluation report started in August of 2019, two months after it went live, and realized we didn't have a way to train providers or follow up with these infants. So for two years, there was absolutely nothing done. And here we are four years later. We know that 4,000 of almost probably 5,000 at this point of these plans of care um, have been provided or created. The study from the evaluation report said that at least 41% of parents on plan of cares didn't even know they had officially been given one. We're just having drug addicted parents walk out of hospitals with drug exposed babies and saying, good luck.
0: So uh, it's funny, Marilyn, you, you mentioned the road to hell cave with good intentions, but road, road to hell was one of my suggestions for the name of this podcast. I don't know if Ian remembers that. <laughs> but yes. it, was, it was rejected, yes. and yes. <laughs>
2: but I can see that you've understood the theme that we're going for here. Well, and uh, so I just, it, it's crazy to me because if you go back to why this bill was created and, and really at the federal level and then at the state level, it was a non-putative approach, we want actively drug-using parents to come into our facilities and get the prenatal care. The crazy thing about the New Mexico bill is it doesn't even start until after the baby's born. We forgot all about prenatal. Well, it's it's not just that. I mean, the, the federal law
0: does not prevent states from reporting families to child welfare if there is a substance exposure problem. And there there are other circumstances that could be contributing to, that these, these families could be reported. I don't know if they are being or not, but they can't be reported just for
2: substance exposure. Is that so, the? So the law, it's interesting you say that, and I'm so glad to be on here talking with policy experts about policy. The law as originally drafted or proposed was shall not report. And my organization was relatively new, like three weeks old. We didn't know where the bathroom was, right? Like we were so new and someone brought this law forward. It was in 2019 and someone said, shall not report. So my lobbyist who is a pro bono lobbyist and does this out of the goodness of his heart because he cares so much about children, worked with the secretary, the bill sponsors and advocacy groups. And it says now shall not report alone. So now Mm. that's so interesting, Naomi, once again, (laughs) road to hell. There is a lot of confusion with the bureaucracy four years in. Here is a crazy thing, and this is something that our Legislative Finance Committee, which is a year... So New Mexico's a volunteer legislature. We're the last one in the whole country. We don't have expert staff. They don't have paid staff. They don't have support. They are volunteer legislatures. Our Legislative Finance Committee, which is a year-long council services, is actually doing an investigation finally. Finally into this because it has become such an issue. It is a national public health crisis. We are losing a generation of children. One in five New Mexico babies are born drug exposed. So that means one in five babies in New Mexico are born to this plan of care. And so can
1: you give a sense of what the raw, what that translates to in raw numbers? uh,
2: So we're about 20, it's about 23,000 babies a year. And so, 23,000 that are drug addicted, No, 23 born every year. So okay. we're a small population. We're 2 million states, so it's 23, and so it would be 5,000 of those, yes. or 4,000, I guess. And so somewhere along the line, and, and I sat through, I would say, 60-plus hours of legislative committees this year. Um, because there were two separate bills that were both proposed, neither one passed to really fix this issue. The loophole of hospitals not reporting. Now, it's interesting because as you get down to this, we have learned, and I've learned this from hospitals. So I have nurses calling me. I have nurses from every corner of the state calling me at every birthing hospital. There's the shall not report alone. Now, here's an interesting thing about Child Protective Services. In New Mexico, if you call Child Protective Services from a hospital, the call is immediately screened out because the child is actively safe in the hospital. So nurses are calling and saying, "I have concerns about this baby." They call to the statewide central intake line, and the call is screened out because the child is actively in the hospital. So I received a call. Yeah, you're 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 on the podcast, yes. so you can't see the yes. eyes, yes. but you can't see my sense. puzzled face. But yes, me too. too, gentlemen. There it so- is. So-
1: by screened out, do you mean not taken or yes. ignored?
2: Yes. Nothing is wrong. And so, one of the calls that I just can't get over is that um, I, I. So I am personally calling for a special extraordinary legislative session to fix Kara. And and I other legislators have called both sides of the aisle. Kara is a crisis. Kara. So Kara is since 2019 born drug exposed shall not report alone but here's the problem if if a nurse calls in so i got a call it was last fall our medicaid contract was up and so this is interesting new mexico has the highest number of babies born to medicaid in the entire country we are a billion dollar plus industry for the medicaid providers so every big medicaid provider in the country was working to get this this bid we're going to give it to three or four fun fact the date Was it proposed in in February? The the contract was awarded. Our governor's top donor did not receive the award. She pulled back the entire Medicaid contract. And the Medicaid contract is now up again for renewal this year because one of the agencies didn't receive it. So we're doing this all over again this year. It's unheard of. If that sounds crazy to you, it's true. Um, I had a head of a Medicaid organization call me in September and say, Marilyn, I received your phone number because you're an advocate in this space. I don't know what to do. And I said, okay. She said, we are bidding on the contract, so I can't call CYFD with this concern because it could jeopardize the contract. She said, but I'm at a loss of what to do with Kara. Kara is killing babies. We can't keep staff in coordinations because of how awful the babies are. Here's a fun fact. Nurses go into NICU to cuddle sweet little babies. When they see how broken this is, one of the nurses that testified in the legislature said, our nurses are as mentally broken and emotionally broken as the babies being returned back in our this medicaid provider supervisor said unmh which is the university of new mexico hospital nurses have called cyfd the child protective services agency two separate times to report that the parents of the newborn have been caught smoking fentanyl in the hospital two separate times I didn't know you could smoke in hospitals, let alone smoke fentanyl in hospitals, let alone not be arrested for smoking hospitals. So she you said could that- You probably still not smoke cigarettes, but fentanyl is probably okay. Fentanyl is totally fine. So the, so the the MCO, yes, your faces are what I live through every day. And she said, the hospital has reported this family is actively smoking fentanyl in the hospital rooms two separate times. They are homeless. They are unhoused. They, they don't have a place to go. They don't have families. We are about to discharge this nurse. The hospital has to discharge at some point. CYFD is saying discharge to the parents. I am worried that within 12 hours of this infant being discharged, that will be a dead baby on the street somewhere. What do I do? And... The answer is there is nothing to do, right? I said, call 911, three child, like this is where I say as an advocate, 911, three calls, well, child check. But the problem is as the law was written in 2019, the MCOs are the hospital insurance companies are legally responsible for the infant once they leave the door. So we have wrongful death lawsuits coming. Um, They're crazy. Wrongful death lawsuits against the insurance companies? Against everyone. So because we took a public health approach and so we didn't say just child protective services, that's the other issue with this is that right now I sat through legislative testimonies. I'm not kidding. where It's not just child protective services. It's health, it's health and human services department. It's the department of health. It's early childhood education and home visiting. There were sometimes six separate cabinet secretaries sitting at the table testifying about Kara. And that was the number one issue is who is responsible for the infant when they leave the door, the legal answer that no one could answer is that the MCOs are. The problem is, is that the insurance agencies are call centers who've never met the child or the family before they leave. There's no warm handoff. Most of these families don't even know they're part of the system.
1: Wow. You said there are other states that have taken different approaches. What is wrong with the public health approach versus, I presume, what some might call a punitive approach, but sounds like it might be more effective? Um,
2: I can't find another state. And so if someone's listening to this and finds another state doing the public health approach, I would love the, the information. Parents who are actively, right? And so the intent was if a child is in danger, that is the entire reason the federal government says these notifications must go to the Child Protective Services Agency. That's federal law, Title 42, Social Security. Um, It is the federal law under United States Code Title 42, 510, 06A.2 says notify the Child Protective Services Agency because we want these children safe. So for instance, Washington State is a great example of a state that I think is a progressive state doing great things, but still at the end of the day, if that child is born addicted to meth or fentanyl or God forbid both, they're still notifying the Child Protective Services Agency and that Child Protective Services Agency is coming in to protect the child. In New Mexico, our lawmakers Our providers, our nurses truly think that under care, we will not remove the child and we're sending them home. And so what we're seeing now is we're four years into this. We've had three overdoses of children under two in the past three weeks. What's even crazier is our um, Bernalillo County, which is where I live, which is our most populous county. We had 68 overdoses in 2022 of children under one of fentanyl last year. 23 of those were declared overdoses on scene we should i mean we should clarify here that in states where parents
0: are reported to child welfare services because the baby is born substance exposed that does not necessarily mean the child is removed from the parents absolutely family. not it often means that that parent is now you know required to enter a rehab program or you know that child stays in the NICU a little bit longer to make sure that they're okay or the parent is sent home and there's some kind of you know visits that are now required, required. Child welfare until we're convinced that that child is safe so you know this but, is not and, just and, so we know like not an either or like either we remove that child from the parent's custody or we send that child home with absolutely no supports or any kind of accountability right,
1: right. what what you just described would that be considered punitive
2: in new
1: mexico okay. so in new mexico but that's the issue because what you just described is not punitive it's actually requiring the parent to do the things to hopefully improve the lives of their child.
2: not even required. You'd you'd have to
0: believe that, sorry to interrupt, Marilyn, but the problem here is like, you'd have to believe that there's something wrong with parents using drugs in order to believe that getting them off drugs is a good thing. I mean, this is sort of like we're living in this bizarro world where, you know, why are you being so judgmental, Ian?
2: Yes, yes. You know, being addicted to drugs while you have a newborn is a problem. So um, the, the bill we tried to pass, which passed the Senate unanimously, and that's a Senate Democrat majority, was if the plan of care fails or the parents just decline services or walk out, there shall be a family assessment. That's all. Shall be a family assessment. We should just check on the family. What services do they need? Um, in the the evaluation report, there's 12 services we offer them from emergency rental assistance, housing guys. Like, we don't want to send you home, right? 75%, like up to 95%, and I'm showing this, it's in your thing, are declined, declined, right? So the bill we tried to propose was shall do a family assessment. And then it got very interesting in the Senate Judiciary Committee. The idea was we proposed lot shall do an, an investigation. It got, the bill was too hard. So the bill we tried to pass that passed the Senate unanimously was. If declined or failed to services, the plan of care shall do a family assessment. Just check on the family, offer services, may do an investigation. Did not pass. We shall not do this. I'm going to tell you a horrible story because the, the wrongful death suit is not just against parents and this. There was a family um, in northern New Mexico, which is a historically Hispanic native New Mexican, you're talking 15th generation New Mexicans. Like they, they. I mean, it is deeply Hispanic rooted. There was a woman, and I can send you this link too, um, two babies, both born drug-exposed, both died as infants, same house. So the story is two dead babies, same house. This mom has been um, charged with child abuse twice by the time she's 19 years old. So this was a teen mom gave birth to a drug-exposed infant at 18 years old. The baby died. It was smothered in its sleep. So then they're charged. Mom and boyfriend are charged. Mom gets pregnant again. Same thing happens. We gave birth again and say, so this is when you're talking about services, I think this is the most egregious case of how Kara has failed. If there was ever a young mom or a mom in support and need of support services, it is an 18-year-old mom, period. And then it's an 18-year-old mom whose first baby already died, was born drug exposed, sent home, and not supported. For this to happen two separate times in under two years to the same mother who's not even 20 years old is, I think, one of the biggest travesties ever, like That is a family that needed support, that we did not support the family.
1: Wow. Are we looking at this incorrectly? Are there, this seems like it's an entire government solution. Are there religious or other nonprofit institutions that are involved or could be involved that you think could improve some of these outcomes?
2: So in New Mexico, we say, and that's why New Mexico has taken a public health approach, which are public health agencies. The problem is, is that, um, like, for instance, we have we have a lot of home services providers. We have early home visiting, right? New Mexico is one of the first states to adopt universal home visiting. Our universal home visitings, less than 25%, of, I think it's 27% of kids that could qualify for it are actively enrolled, which is a whole different issue, right? We're offering services and those families that need it the most are not actively um, engaging in it. And so um, New Mexico, we're not a heavily religious state. Um, we are a blue state, Democrat, progressive majority. Um, but we are trying, like, I don't know that religious organizations would would be the solution, but there are home visiting organizations. They don't even get the notifications to go in and support these families because of the bureaucracy. It. That's why I'm calling this a public health crisis. This is not a public health approach. This is a public health crisis. Everyone should be absolutely alarmed.
0: Right. Well, you need, I mean... know there is this there are some great partnerships out there in the world of child welfare between sort of government and you know civic and um religious organizations but on the front lines when you have these kids who are born in this particular way you know the first line of intervention has to be a you know government intervention not you know not that we can't not that they can't end up offering services through faith-based organizations or anything like that. But especially when you see, I mean, I read that report, Marilyn, like the rate of parents not knowing that they have this plan of care and then declining all of these services. It's surprising. I mean, i they think clearly uh, either they're not being asked in some kind of proper way, like whether they want these services and they're not understanding what is being offered to them, or they just think they're fine. And, you know, that is obviously the enormous danger here that, you know, to 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 be an 18 year old mother with a baby substance exposed to have an addiction problem and to be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine to take this kid home, you know is a sign that something is seriously amiss um, and that we need to have a a much more heavy-handed approach with, you know, I mean, you know, we could call it offering services or, but, you know, but absolutely having some kind of mandatory assessment to see whether this parent is really capable of parenting in the
2: hospital. It's, it's not a good sign. Well, that's what I just thought is so crazy. And we have just become so non-putative. It doesn't make sense. So in that report, and I hope you link it on the podcast, um, there were five separate recommendations. Now, this was another crazy thing in the lovely state of the land of enchantment. This report came out in 2021. Not one of those recommendations has been implemented since, including, now this was crazy, and I felt like I lived in a crazy world, increasing prenatal screening for substance exposure. There was a bill presented this session to provide universal pre-screening, which could help reduce bias, right? We don't have it. So here's the other thing. We don't even know what we don't know, right? Which is a whole different, bigger issue. Um, We had groups actively oppose universal screening because those groups said they increase bias. And I'm like, literally the Department of Health says it reduces bias. But like in this world of politics and policy and far left and far right, and don't pass anything, that bill died because there was a narrative brought forth, an incorrect narrative, that universal screening would specifically hurt increased bias. New Mexico is a majority-minority state, or minority-majority And the
0: screening is universal. I mean, that's the whole point. And it was, you know, I, you know, there's, there is this complaint all over the country that um, prenatal screening, you know, increases racial disparities, to which my response is, Great. Screen everyone. You don't want the bias? Fine. We're not going to like look at you and be like, oh, I think you might be high or I think you might not be high. No, I don't care. Do it for everyone. But but then the problem is that they're not really looking at racial bias. They're just they're just care about racial disparities. They come up that, you know, even after we did this universal screening, which was completely even handed, you saw, you know, more of this type of baby have drug exposure than this type of baby, because that is the worst possible thing.
1: Well, they're assigning causality to those disparities right. of yeah. structural bias as opposed to that's just what it is
0: right well, well and, and again give everybody the same blood test or the same urine test like you know what that's that's not systemic racism that the, the problem is that they just look at it and say well you know you shouldn't be blaming these mothers and and as Marilyn has talked about i mean th- this is not an issue of blame or not blame at this point at this point the question is are we protecting the kids your or not? child
2: Right. And and honestly, and I've had to really shift my perspective. Are we protecting the parents, the parents and the grandparents, guys like they that 18 year old mother mother who'd already lost a child? She did a disservice. There's a case out of a different county who I mean, the cases I hear are just horrible. Parents have lost three kids already. Right. Mom had been terminated parental rights two separate times. But the third kid born under this new law died of fentanyl at 18 months and had already had two separate kids in two separate decades terminated parental rights, but we said no longer does New Mexico take drug-exposed babies in. We'll send them home to drug dens, trap houses, but don't worry. It's a non-punitive approach, and I I just think that we can do better, um, and this is a public health crisis.
0: I think, unfortunately, a lot of states are actually, you know, Moving more toward this approach. I mean, Connecticut has taken started to take a public health approach. Um, I, I think I think more states are going to take this up because I think the narrative is definitely becoming, um, you know, why are you why are you blaming these parents and you know what's really wrong with drug use anyway.
2: So it's interesting because some of our our strongest ad- advocates on this side are um, returning citizens from the j- the j- jails have actually come out really strong in favor of what I would, I'm not, it's not a punitive approach. It's a support-based approach, right? It's an assessment, mm-hmm. like let's come together. It's a child welfare agency. We're all responsible. And it's interesting because these returned citizens, former felons have come out and said, you cannot parent a child while actively on fentanyl or meth. And here's the crazy thing about meth. Meth actually prohibits bonding and is, as part of its chemical buildup, right? So it's funny, New Mexico is where Breaking Bad is filmed. Every single human on earth, I feel like knows about Breaking Bad. We live that life. Meth actively prohibits the ability to bond with your child, right? Meth makes you paranoid, right? So there's actual chemical reasons that parenting on meth is not a great place to be. Fentanyl is a whole different. We we call it. We're no longer calling it fentanyl overdosing. We're calling it fentanyl poisoning, right? Police officers in the wrong time at the wrong place, wrong place at wrong time, simply by breathing in fentanyl can also be poisoned or overdose. There's such you know one in four is going to kill you. So this is a crisis. And I'm not going to judge your parenting, but I want to make sure both you and the baby are supported. And, and again, really those families declining services, we have to do better. I don't want to take your children away. I just want to make sure you none of you die. Yeah. Yeah.
0: A low bar. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn, for joining us today. Uh, it's been another depressing episode of Are You Kidding Me? <laughs> um, uh, you can get episodes of Are You Kidding Me on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. So with that, I am Naomi Schaefer Riley.
1: And I'm Ian Rowe. Thank you, Marilyn.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Again, um, we can do better. Absolutely.